I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Amos chapter 8. Amos chapter 8, our scripture reading this morning is verses 1 through 14. Amos chapter 8, verses 1 through 14. The sermon is entitled today, Morning and Famine. This is the word of the Lord. Thus the Lord God showed me, behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? So I said, a basket of summer fruit. And then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. And the songs of the temple shall be wailing in that day, says the Lord God. Many dead bodies everywhere. They shall be thrown out in silence. Hear this, you who swallow up the needy and make the poor of the land fail, saying, When will the new moon be passed that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may trade wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel large, falsifying the scales by deceit that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, even sell the bad wheat? The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their works. Shall the land not tremble for this, and everyone mourn who dwells in it? All of it shall swell like the river. Heaven heave and subside like the river of Egypt. And it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord God, that I will make the sun go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like mourning for an only son and its end like a bitter day. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. In that day, the fair virgins and strong young men shall faint from thirst. Those who swear by the sin of Samaria, who say, as your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. We are nearing the end of our series on Amos. Prepare to meet your God is the title that we gave it. And as a reminder, Amos is a farmer. He was a prophet called by God from the fields to go and preach a message to the people of Israel. In chapters 7 through 9, Amos records five different visions of God's judgment. And chapter 8 is like a watchman upon the walls. It is coming, people of Israel. It is urgent. You should listen and watch and pay attention. Vision number four is of a basket of summer fruit. And this summer fruit is to represent Israel. And Israel itself is ripe. For the judgment of God. 
His time of warning, his messages of early warning are over. And in chapter 8, verse 2, God tells Amos, I will no longer pass by my people Israel. I will judge them in their sin. He says that the temple songs will no longer be rejoicing, but wailing and loud crying and lamentation. And the streets, when you go outside, will be full of dead bodies. It is a horrible, terrifying image. And it says that as the people carry the dead out, they do so in silence. We looked a couple chapters ago that some people did this because they were fearful that if they mentioned God's name, He would strike them. And it was a false accusation against God. But that same kind of eerie silence is creeping through the streets as Amos says this message from God, there will be dead bodies everywhere. It's a reminder for us in this chapter that God's message of judgment is coming not upon their wicked pagan neighbors, but upon his covenant people, Israel. Amos chapter 8 looks us squarely in the face and says, I must look at my own sin." I cannot point a finger. God is telling Israel, look at your own sin. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, it says, For the time has come for judgment to begin with the house of God. That's what's taking place here in Amos chapter 8. The prophet is saying, it is here, it is coming, it is urgent. Pay attention, listen, and watch. As we look at this text this morning, I want to do so under three headings. Number one, God addresses the oppressors. Number two, God declares dark days. And number three, God demands true worship. So number one, God addresses the oppressors. In verse four, he says, hear this. This is God speaking. Hear this. And we've heard this already. You might be saying, man, I've heard this sermon at least three other times. In the last two months, you keep coming up with different points, preacher, but it's the same thing. I've heard this before, but biblical repetition, not a preacher's repetition, is significant. You remember early in the book of Amos, he said, for three transgressions and for four, I cannot pass over my people. I must judge them for their sin." They had habitually made bad choices and they were now reaping what they had sown. In the book of Galatians chapter 6, it says that if we sow to the flesh, we will reap from the flesh corruption. If we sow to the spirit, we will reap eternal life. In Galatians 6 verse 7, it says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. What a man sows, he will also reap. So as you consider this basket of summer fruit in Amos chapter 8, that's exactly what the prophet is saying. You have sown sins and idolatry and turning away from the living God, and now you will reap the judgment that you have sown. God addresses the oppressors directly in Amos chapter 8. He says in verse 4, I know your deeds. I know what you do. You swallow up, you trample the needy, and you make the poor to fail. 
In Amos chapter 2, we read this several chapters ago. Amos chapter 2, verse 7, it says that these people who, who hate their brothers and sisters, they pant after the dust of the earth, which is on the head of the poor, and pervert the way of the humble. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 27, it says that the spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, that God knows even the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. The Lord knows your motives. God is here saying to the oppressors, I know your deeds. In verse 5, he says, you have loathed my feasts and you despise my Sabbaths. These people have refused to be still before God. Church has become a burden to them. And deceitful scales are the way that they live. They're willing to increase wealth by any means possible. In verse 6 it says that they saw people, their own brothers and sisters, their countrymen, as commodities to be bought or sold or traded down to the very sandals on their feet. They were even willing to make a dollar on even the throwaway wheat. Now do you remember in our study in the book of Ruth, what was the principle whereby Ruth was able to glean in the fields and be unharmed? It was a principle of gleaning that you were to leave back those parts of the field, those corners and edges, and the things that happened to providentially drop out of your basket, you were to leave for the poor among God's people that they might come and be able to have a meal and to take care of their own families. And here God's judgment against Israel is you're even selling the bad wheat. You're starving the poor among you and you don't care about your brothers and sisters. I know your deeds, God says. And then he says in verse 7, I will never forget. I will never forget. In verse 7 he says, by the pride of Jacob. And he's not talking about the sinful pride of Jacob. God himself in the Bible is the pride of Jacob. God is here swearing by himself, by the pride of Jacob, by who I am. I swear I will never forget your sinfulness. Your persistent rebellion and your refusal to repent. After all of my warnings, after all of my messages, after all of my compassion and patience and my grace and mercy, you refuse and I will never forget it. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 21 says, Though they join forces, the wicked will not go unpunished. Psalm 28, verses 4 and 5, the psalmist says, Give them according to their deeds. Give them what they have sown back. They don't regard God. That's exactly what Israel has done. And you might say, well, wait a minute, preacher. You've been preaching gloom and doom for about two months now. But I've got to tell you, we haven't heard a lot about grace. You've been preaching this what about those verses like Psalm 103, 11 and 12? As far as the heavens are above the earth, so great is my mercy. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. What about that, preacher? Or Jeremiah 31, 34. They shall know me from the least to the greatest. 
I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. What about those? Those are beautiful, precious promises that the Lord Jesus Christ came and died to win for you. But those are not promises that people may claim who persistently live in rebellion and refuse to repent of their sins before the living God. No man or woman can claim the promises of God and live as though He doesn't exist. God here in Amos chapter 8 addresses the oppressors, the oppressor in our own hearts. Number two, God declares dark days Himself. In chapter 3, verse 6, it says that if a trumpet is blown in the city, are the people not afraid? If calamity comes, will not the Lord have done it? God here is declaring dark days. He says to the people, be not misunderstanding. I am the one who's doing this. In verse 8 of chapter 8, it says, the land will tremble. And the people will mourn. And then in verse 9 he says, It shall come to pass, says the Lord God. And if you still have your Bible open, I want you to see some repetition in chapter 8. He repeats it six times. Beginning in verse 9. I will make the sun go down at noon. I will darken the earth in broad daylight. Verse 10. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like mourning for an only son and its end like a bitter day. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will send a famine on the land. Make no mistake, God rules his world. He says, I will. No man can stay his hand. In Psalm 104, I think it's helpful to be reminded of this because I think that there's something in our hearts that turns away from the Lord that says everything that's happening around us, the weather, the state of our country and this world, elections, everything is being done according to somebody else's bidding. And the Bible reminds us, no, everything is being done according to God's plan. In Psalm 104, it praises God for His work of creating everything and sustaining the entire world such that even the world itself responds when God calls. If He calls the waters, they come. If He tells a mountain to shake and to tremble, it does it. And I think that's why the people, the disciples, were scratching their heads and wondering in Matthew chapter 8 when Jesus spoke, And the wind and the waves obeyed him. What did they say? Who is this man? That even the wind and the waves obey him. Do you know that is the living God to whom we stand in his presence this morning. To whom we prayed our father this morning. To whom you said I believe in God the father almighty. You said I believe in him this morning. He sits upon a throne and He rules this world. He is the true and righteous King. In verse 9, it says that God would bring darkness. And darkness, maybe for some of you, you have little ones. Or for some of you, little ones. 
Maybe the darkness frightens you. Darkness does seem to invite fear and escalate our anxiety and our despair. God says, I am bringing darkness and it will come in the middle of the day when it's not normally supposed to come. And he's saying it's not going to be a storm. It's not going to be clouds. It's going to be me deciding to make it dark when it's not normally because I rule the world. And you will know that it's me. In verse 10, he says, your feasts I will turn into mourning. And notice he uses that pronoun, your feasts. They're yours. They're not mine. Your feasts I will turn into mourning. Your songs I will make laments. I will make the music that you so love to sing and so love to hear the sound of your own voice and your singing. I will make them emblems of mourning among my people. All the the heads with the beautifully flowing hair will be shaved as a sign of mourning in the presence of the living God. And everyone with your fine clothing that you have bought with the riches that you have stolen from the poor among you. I will clothe you in sackcloth. You will mourn in my presence. God tells his people, this is a hard message. And you will mourn as for an only son. And the people of Israel knew exactly what God meant. He was telling them, you will mourn as for an only son, just as the wailing that my people heard in Egypt. When I delivered you from your oppressors, you will mourn as though you have lost an only son. Because you have forgotten who I am and you have forgotten who you are. In Proverbs chapter 29 verse 18, it says where there is no revelation, the people perish. That word in your translation of the Bible may say discouraged or be brought low. In verse 11, God says something that I fear. He says that he would send a famine upon his people. He declares dark days among them. But even worse than the weather changing, he says, I am bringing a famine, not of bread or thirst for water, but of hearing the words of God. What is he threatening to do here? What is he promising that he will bring? He says to his people, you haven't heeded my warnings. You haven't obeyed my commandments. And so you shall no longer have my word. Israel will seek the Lord in order to obtain relief from physical distress and consolation for her troubled heart. This famine is God's retribution for their persistent opposition to the truth. How perverse is the nature of men and women that when we have the word of God in our hands, we despise it. And when it is withheld, we seek it because of the severity of God's punishment and chastisement upon us. When we have it, we take it for granted and despise it. And when we don't have it, we only want the comfort that we think the encouragement will bring. Do you see there's a difference there between seeking the Lord's word so that we might know him and seeking the benefits of what he gives? Do I want God for his money and his benefits? Or do I want him simply just for him? I think there's the two things that we should think about the nature of this withdrawal that God promised in this famine. 
Number one, I think they will no longer receive any new warnings. No more prophetic voice. No more Amos speaking to them. It's over. Just as quickly as the man got a job, it is gone. But I think something that's also scary, another side of this is, that there will be no guide among God's people to lead them into the truth. Those who have turned their hearts away from him will no longer have a heart to obey, and they won't have an opportunity to do it either. If God removes his spirit from us, what sort of state are we in, dear people of God? Now you might say, well, they had their Bible. We have our Bible. I can read it. No one's come in my home and taken it away. But how can we say, just because we have the book in front of us, that we can understand it? How can we say, I'll read it someday. It sits upon my shelf or the, the, the TV table or right by the door so I don't forget it on my way to church. How can I say I'll read the Bible another time? Is the Bible simply reading a book or is it communing with the God of heaven? On top of the darkness, the sackcloth and the shaved heads and the funeral songs, the people will frantically seek a word from God. And it says that all of their journeying for it will be futile. He will not give it. That time is over. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7, it says that some people in the last days will always be learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. In John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus was speaking to people who thought they could search the scriptures and have life. But he said, they are those which testify of me and you don't believe in me. Therefore, you cannot have what the scriptures promise. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you seeking him? There is a way to read and search the Bible that is not pleasing to God. That seems to be clear in this text from the scriptures. If you have your Bible with you still, please turn to Luke chapter 16. In Luke chapter 16, it's a familiar story. You've heard of the rich man and Lazarus. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus is telling this story. Lazarus sat at the, the gate to the city. He uh, was full of sores. He was a beggar. And he got nothing. And this rich man had everything, fine clothing and food and a great place to live. And it, after a time, both men die. And it says that Lazarus goes to the bosom of Abraham. And this rich man goes into hell, separated from God. And I think one of the ways that we see in this parable that Jesus told, that there is a, a right way and a wrong way to seek the Lord, this man says, you know what? If you would just give one more word. Abraham, if you could just send one more word and, and go to my father's house because I have brothers there. And if you just sent someone to go and speak to them, I know they would listen. And do you remember what he says? He says, no. You, they have the words of Moses and it is enough. And he says these chilling words. Very chilling words in verse 30. In response, 
And he said, no, Father Abraham. How can those two things go together? How can a son say no to his father? How can a daughter say no to her father? They don't go together. This man was after blessings. He was not after wanting a savior and loving God and serving him faithfully. God declares dark days upon his people. He says, I will do it. He says, I will send a famine. And he says, I will accomplish my purposes. And his purpose in this text is heavy and harsh and it's difficult to swallow, but it is to punish covenant rebellion and to purge Israel of their idolatry. But I think we should see something else in this text that happens when God does this. It glorifies himself. You say, well, that's kind of twisted. But it does. It glorifies God to keep his promises. He told his people, if you walk in my ways and are faithful to me, I will bless you. But when you disobey and when you turn your heart from me and you will no longer listen to my messages calling you back to myself, I will punish you. And this glorifies him because he's keeping his promises. Though they may be severe, though the providences in their life might seem dark and shadowy, they are meant to glorify God. In verse 13, he says that it will be to the extent that the fair virgins and strong young men shall faint from thirst. And what God's people should be asking, if the young, healthy, vibrant, beautiful young women and strong, strapping, muscular young men can't stand it, what's going to happen to us? What about us middle-aged and older folks? What is God doing? If the strength of man and the beauty of woman is not enough to withstand the judgment of God, what on earth will happen to us? So point number one, God addresses the oppressors. Point number two, God declares dark days. And lastly, number three, God demands true worship. It says in verse 14 that they shall fall and never rise again. And just another question to state the obvious, a repeated question today. Thanks for bearing with me. Who does he say this to? He says it to Israel, to his people. They have taken my name upon their lips. They have pledged vows and oaths of fidelity and love and faithfulness to me. And yet they have played the harlot with every idol that was brought in front of their faces. My people have walked away from me. They pledged like in a marriage that they would love me and keep themselves pure only for me. And yet they've given pieces of their heart away to anybody that walks and moves. And anything that can be stood up in front of them, they have given themselves away to. I ask you this morning, as you hear this text, as you read it with me, is there anything in your heart that says, as I read these words, that's me. That's me. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 12 and 13 are true. That the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword to the dividing of the bone and marrow. Even to the spirit of who we are. And if that's true, the word of God pierces into our hearts. And we should be saying, that's me. I'm the idolater. I'm the harlot. 
I'm the one who made pledges to God and I can't keep them. From the lips of our, one of our children this morning. There's sin in my heart and I don't want to do it. But I can't stop. I cannot get it away from me. I ask you. What does the word of God expose in you? Is it exposing failed efforts? And maybe bad execution of things that you're supposed to do? Or is it utter sinfulness in the presence of the living God? In Isaiah chapter 59. I think these words are piercing, but they are helpful to us as God's people. Isaiah chapter 59. Therefore justice is far from us, nor does righteousness overtake us. We look for light, but there is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in blackness. We grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as at twilight. We are as dead men in desolate places. We all growl like bears and moan sadly like doves. We look for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us and as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood, justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. So truth fails and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. And you confess that evilness in your own heart. Not as something out there, but something that's inside of you and I. How can you and I, maybe make this personal for you, ask this question. How can I say I'm a Christian? And yet I cannot point to evidence of sincere love for what God loves in me. I mean sincere, daily, heart beating, life pumping Love for what God loves and hatred for what he hates. G.K. Beale says in his book, We Become What We Worship, that we resemble what we revere for ruin or restoration. We resemble what we revere for ruin or restoration. I ask you, what do you love? What is your heart after? What are you giving your life's energy for, men and women, boys and girls? If I live and think and love and look like the world that proclaims hatred for the living God, why should I doubt that God will judge me? If I live and think and look and love like the world that proclaims hatred for God, why should I doubt that God will judge me? It is so easy to be deceived because that's how sin works in our hearts. God demands true worship. And I want to encourage you this morning as you think about this text. And I, I get the heaviness of the message and the gloom and doom and the repetition. But I think the glorious gospel is worth looking at at the end of this text. Because as we look at our sin, as we say, that's me. And justice has fallen even in my own heart. And there is no righteousness. The truth of the gospel is this, dear people of God. That God does it for you. 
All of it. He does it for you. If all that I can offer is sin, then who can come to God and be acceptable in his sight? In the book of Ezekiel chapter 34, it says that God looked out and there was none righteous. And so he went and won his people and he saved them. He did it himself. I want to encourage you this morning, dear sinner, that he is willing to do what is necessary to bring his people into his presence. Since his people were and still are unruly, he had to provide a sacrifice for their sinfulness, for my sinfulness and for yours. And it is his delight to allow us to approach him based on the actions of another. And who is the other? Who is the other? The precious, beautiful Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 10, Jesus called himself the good shepherd because he laid down his life for the sheep. And he said, my sheep know me. And they respond when I call. Jesus bought your listening ears. Jesus bought your humble heart. He won your repentance. It is a gift from him. It is nothing that we give to God. Well, I said it. I did it. You have to accept me now. If you repent and it is acceptable in God's sight, it is because it has been given to you as a gift from your heavenly father. That's why in Philippians chapter 2, it says that God has exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If Jesus died and there's any other way to heaven, God is unjust. But if Jesus died, then sinners may come to him and plead the merits of his blood. The hymn says, venture on him, venture wholly. Let no other trust in truth. I ask you this morning, do you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone? And I want to finish giving you two tests to take today. And you say, well, shoot, it's Sunday. <laughs> two tests. Do I love the Word of God? And am I sensitive to it? That's part of the, the plague among God's people in Amos chapter 8. They had God's Word and they despised it. Do you love the word of God? Are you sensitive to it? And then number two. Am I actively relieving the suffering of others? One of the things that was devastating about God's judgment upon his people was that it seems as though it was okay for people to defraud others and hate them. To say one thing in public but do something else in private. They were willing to steal from one another and then smile doing it. Are you actively working to relieve the suffering of others? And there are suffering people all around us. Every Sunday we pray for one of our missionaries. I ask you, do you pray for opportunities for the Lord to help you see the suffering around you? And are you actively working to relieve it by God's grace? Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, I thank you for your rich and beautiful word. 
And though your word sometimes is very heavy upon us, we thank you for the heaviness. Because it is a reminder of your presence with us. We thank you that your discipline is always meant to draw us close to you. Always meant to repair what is broken. That your discipline is always good. And Lord, I pray that that would be exemplified even now as we think about these questions. And I pray that as your spirit moves among your people. As you press on certain aspects of our lives and our hearts before you. I pray for all of your people, Lord, that you would give faith and not fear and unbelief. And I pray that your people would turn away from sin and run to you. And I pray for the grace and mercy to continue to trust that you are good and loving. In Jesus' name, amen.